Hi, everybody, and welcome to Joint Air Christian Lifestyle, the podcast where we celebrate diversity within the body of Christ. I'm your host, Shane Fritz, and I'm pleased to bring you the second session of the discipleship class that I've been teaching at Destiny Church in Hanover uh, over the past month or so. Um, last week, we really focused on uh, allowing our minds to be transformed, living a yielded life, and uh, and walking into our destiny that we have with God. Um, in this session, we're going to really be focusing on getting to know God, having that intimacy with Him, and, and really receiving His love, and then ultimately becoming His love and manifesting that love. And so I know this is going to bless you, and uh, and I just pray that this is an encouragement. And uh, and so until we talk again, enjoy. Um, just kind of recap it. You know, we were talking out of Romans 12. We were talking about living a transformed life, letting God do a new thing inside of us, what that looks like, and yielding to Him. We talked a little bit about, like, destiny and dreaming with God. And then I got sidetracked, and, and so I'm going to kind of come back to where we were. You know, but we were talking those scriptures, you know, especially like out of Jeremiah, that he knew us and appointed us before the foundation of the earth. Ephesians 2, we were talking, that we're his workmanship, his masterpiece. God knew us intimately even before the foundation of the earth. He had these plans for us, this this life that we would be able to step into and follow if we would just yield to the direction. And so tonight, what I want to get into is really we're going to talk about the love of the Father. We're going to talk about the love of God. We're going to talk about intimacy because what jumps out at me is that He knew us so intimately before we were even a thought. But we have to we have to know Him. We have to take that time to get to know Him. So tonight, we're going to start in Matthew 7. And you guys, I think everybody got a sheet. It's it's near the top of your sheet. Actually, we skipped one, so we'll just, we'll start. We'll start in Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. And this was really, this was what I was hearing all week long as, as I was preparing for this out of Ephesians 3, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. It says you'd be able to comprehend love of God. It says you'd be rooted and grounded in love. And, and so we think about that being rooted and grounded in love, we start thinking about foundations. Last week, we were starting on a foundation. We were talking you know, a little bit about living a yielded life and what it looks like to allow God to work in us. We started talking about destiny and it was part of that foundation. This week we're we're laying another block and we're, we're talking about another part of that foundation, love of God. That you may be able to comprehend, 
intent is love. To know the love which surpasses knowledge. What we're going to really talk about tonight is that we can know these scriptures frontwards, backwards, inside out. We can do all kinds of tricks with them. We can have all the knowledge. But the love of God passes knowledge. It has to be experienced. Only once you experience it can you comprehend it. I remember, you know, and I say this, and I know some of you guys are probably sitting here and you're saying, well, I, I know I've experienced the love of God. I know I've experienced it. And it makes me think about not too long ago, probably just over a year ago now, I was at a conference. And uh, when I was at that conference, time I just felt the anointing so strong and we were in that place and the presence of God was all over it. And in the weeks leading up to that, I kept on hearing people talking about the glory of God showing up in worship services. That there was actually, were in worship services where they had seen the glory cloud, that they had seen it visibly in a worship service. And I remember being in that conference that weekend and I just kept on saying, God, just show me your glory, just show me your glory. And I remember they had a fire tunnel at the end of the service. I think everybody here went through a fire tunnel just a couple weeks ago, right? And I remember I didn't even make it through. I didn't even make it close to through. I, I like I got a couple steps in and I hit the ground and they let me off somewhere. And um, and while I was laying there, I remember just getting this vision. And I'm laying there and it's still it's coming back to me and, I, and I'm laying there and I'm saying, Show me your glory. And I remember the image that I got was a human heart. And he said, that's your heart. And he said, because the glory of God is a transformed heart. And it broke me. It broke me so hard in that place. And that's what I'm saying, guys. We can have experienced the love of God and He can break us all over again. If we don't stay soft, we don't stay tender, but we can get hard hearted. It can all become about what we know up here instead of what we've experienced here. Alright, we're gonna go to Matthew 7. Hey Dave and Terry, how you guys doing? We're gonna stay with all all these scriptures you guys are gonna probably know very well. Matthew 7, we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to start in 15 to just kind of set the groundwork for where we're going to go. And it says there, Jesus speaking, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. Good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Everybody understand we're talking about prophets here. We're, we're talking about people that are, that are anointed to know things. 
And yet he's calling them false prophets. He's saying they're going to bear bad fruit, that you'll know them by their fruit. And then he goes on here, and this is really really where we're going to focus. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. He says, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. And I look at that, and I say, I mean, this, honestly, this should terrify every Christian. It really should. Because this, this isn't a matter of, I'm in gross sin, and so I won't see heaven, I will, you know, I'm going to burn forever in hell. That's not what he's talking about here. He's actually talking about people who are being used by God to do powerful works. And yet the reality is that even in the midst of that, right, as they declare, Lord, Lord, have we not, and they start listing what they've done, and they've interjected themselves, and made it sound like they had something to do with what came through them. We're talking about heart conditions here. We're talking about our posture towards God. Have we not? You know, if we if we finish that sentence with anything more than have we not lowered ourselves, have we not yielded to your will, have we not been obedient, we've missed the mark. But they said, have we not? And they list what they did. And Jesus makes his declarations, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. You guys doing all right? Coming out strong tonight. Sorry. It said, I never knew you. And the word there for knew is gnosko, right? I got it pronounced right? All right, gnosko. That word has everything to do with intimacy. In fact, it has to do with complete disclosure, absolute knowing. It's actually even comes into marital intimacy. If we would go back to Matthew 1, verse 25, Jesus is talking there, or the, I'm sorry, Matthew is writing there about Jesus being born. It says um, that Joseph didn't know Mary. It's that same word there. He didn't know Mary until after the birth of Jesus. You have to be intimate with him. He said, I never knew you. He's known us. He's known us since before the foundation of the earth, right? That's what we talked about. But do we know him? We're going to talk about different different phrases. Sonship. We're going to talk about brideship right now. Because we know the scriptures say we've been adopted as sons, right? But it also tells us that Jesus is coming back for a bride. How many of us know that the groom waits at the altar on the bride? 
Nothing's happening until the bride walks down the aisle, right? They get married. Let's talk about a bad marriage here for a minute. You get married, and they never come together. They never know each other. The husband may love the wife, and I'm going to pick on the wife right now because we're talking about the bride chef. The husband may love his wife. He may know her. But see, if she doesn't reciprocate that intimacy, nothing's going to happen. There's never going to be that connection, that closeness. Jesus is a gentleman. He's not going to force himself on his bride. He's simply going to wait until the bride is ready to present herself. He wants to know us. Doing all right? I know I'm using. Uh, uh, we're, we're good. All right. I mean, I'm talking intimacy here. I want to make sure we're all. All right. We're gonna flip over. We're gonna go to First John. We're gonna kind of carry on this thought. Starting First John, chapter one. We're gonna be really sitting there probably for the rest of the evening. First John, chapter one, and verse three. starts out there, that that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. And we're going to stop right there, because we need to look at this word fellowship. It's just like no. No could mean some different things that we found out. Fellowship is the same way. In fact, fellowship here, the word used for fellowship, this one I'm not going to try to pronounce, but the one for fellowship here has everything to do with intimacy again. In fact, the meaning can actually have the term intercourse interjected for it. But it's also the word, the same word that gets used in all our scriptures that talk about communion, as far as taking the bread and the wine. Again, it's got everything to do with absolute disclosure. Not trying to hide anything. He's not hiding anything from us. And so that full that full on abandonment and going after him is what he's talking about here. To fellowship with him. To fellowship with him the way Adam and Eve did in the garden. Before the fall. These things I write to you that your joy may be full. That's a promise right there. That our joy would be full when we know him and we fellowship with him in that kind of close way. It goes on here, verse 5. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Everything he's talking about here, in fact, me and Jared were talking before we got going tonight. You know, we're under this, this beautiful new covenant. And we all talk about the law of love, we talk about the law of liberty, we talk about the law of grace. And yet we were just saying 
that the amazing thing is that there's a higher standard set. We talked a little bit last week that, you know, even as we talk about, you know, grace and love, what we have to understand is that it's tension, that it's offset, it's counterbalanced with holiness. And what he's talking about here is that, that very principle of holiness, the principle of consecration, of sanctification, of, of being of being set apart, of setting ourselves apart for him, and allowing that that darkness to be taken out as we fellowship with him, we have that intimacy with him. Y'all still doing all right? I keep checking on you. You guys want me to jump? Uh, no. Very here. Probably not. All right. Let's go on verse 7. Here. Said, but, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light. I love the ifs of the Bible. When I read, when I read this, if we walk in the light, it takes me back to Galatians 5, right? 5, 24 and 25 says, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the spirit, if we walk in the light, if we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. If we walk in the light. Everybody wants to walk in the light. And so, you know, honestly, few are willing to, to make that, that move of separation to allow that to really take place in their life. That's where that yielded life, letting him transform from the inside out, that's where that, all that's coming from. If we walk in the light. As he is in the light. We're going to hit this again later too. But If we walk in the light, that's present tense. As he is in the light, present tense. As he is, so we are in the world. We're going to hit that scripture later on. Guys, you know, so often we talk about Jesus, and we kind of we'll set it like it's unattainable, almost, right? We lift Jesus up for what He did on the earth. If you read through the Gospels, and rightfully so. And yet, what we're called to do is to be as He is, to walk in the light as He is in the light. It's a call to action on our part, not to wait till things line up perfect. I mean, it was snow. We wait on things to line up perfect. Nothing ever happens. Some of the best advice I ever got when we were deciding whether or not to have kids, you know, and, and we had, in Victoria, we had this conversation, you know, well, we got to wait until finances look this way, and we're here, and, and things are set in place. And I remember telling that to somebody I worked with at the time. They said, well, you too bad, you're never going to have kids. Huh. Perfect situations never come up. 
sometimes it's time just to go out as he is, so we are in the world. If we say we're in the light, let's walk in the light as he's in the light. Hmm. All right, let's go on here. I want to go through, I'm going to read 8 through 10 here together, and, and I want to talk about this a little bit. Now, we're going to shift a little bit, but I feel this is important for the group to, to look at this. And it, it says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. I'm going to step away from intimacy and love here for a minute. I'm going to kind of go back and hit on a little bit of what we talked about last week. So many people will use 1 John 1 8, right? If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And how many of us have heard people? say, we're all sinners. Right, everybody. We all sin, we all fall short of the glory of God every day. Right? We've all heard it. I mean, there's, there is truth to that, to an extent, and yet at the same time, we can use that as an excuse to live there, being covered by the grace of God. There's a whole lot of the church body that does just that. It's all an excuse. Everything's all right. We sin every day, but it's all right because we're covered by grace. By grace, we can save. We never tension it with holiness, so we're allowed to just sit there in that place. But what I find is, as I read verses 8 through 10 there, it's really a bigger statement about what Jesus accomplished coming to earth and dying on the cross. If we say that we have no sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you say that you don't have a sin problem or that you've never, that the way you live is just fine the way you live aside from Christ, then you have no need for Christ. Fair statement? So we deceive ourselves and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. That's what's happened for everybody here. Amen? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That we've been given that right standing before God. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, right? Because what did we do? If we say we haven't sinned and that we don't need the blood sacrifice of Jesus, what we're saying is Jesus isn't for us, there's no reason for him to come to earth. We have to read this in the context of chapter 2, and we're going to go ahead and go... Right into chapter 2 here, the first two verses, says, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins. Again, love the ifs of the Bible. What do you just do here? We went from, we're all wretched sinners, going to sin every day. Oh my goodness, we just need to pray for forgiveness. Every day is when we wake up in case we dream something bad while we were asleep and before we go to bed in case we did everything and, and put it all under the blood. And, okay, right? What's he saying here? I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, 
remember the first time I saw this. Man, I grew up under that system, man. I, was, man. I better pray for forgiveness every day. Pray that the last thing I did before I say my last, or take my last breath was a good thing. That's where a lot of people live at. And yet, here's this idea that we can go forward even for periods of time without sin. There's a freedom in that. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He's cleansed us from all unrighteousness, not some of it, not the easy stuff, all of it, and he's the advocate as the righteous. Good stuff. You're still doing good? Yeah. All right. Verse 3. Now by this we know that we know him. Back to that word, gnosko again. By this we know that we know him. We know that we know that we know I use this phrase a lot of times, you can't know what you don't know. Pretty fair statement. But by this, we know that we know. It's a confirmation. It's a full disclosure back to us. When you know him intimately, he wants to reveal that to you. He wants that security to wash over you. He wants you to know. He wants you to know that you're loved. He wants you to know that you've been made right. He wants you to know that He cares and has a plan for your life. This is the heart of the Father, that you know that you know. He doesn't leave you guessing. By this, we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments is a liar. Truth is not in it. Truth is not in it. Make sure I don't skip a bit. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commands is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in Him. This is all covenant language. As we go on here, pretty much the rest of what we're going to read, this is all family language. This is all covenant language. This is all sonship. This is how we know that we belong, that we're legitimate sons of His. Whoever keeps His word, whoever keeps His commandment, we're going to get to what that commandment looks like. It's all focused on love, and it's all focused on us having confirmation that we can see what he has intended for us. Love perfected says that that his that the love of God is perfected in him. Love takes action. It's love moving. Moving us to action. Verse 6 says, He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk 
just as he walked. There we are. If you're in the light, right? Walk in the light. If you abide in him, walk just as he walked. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. We, we talk now, we're talking about this commandment. That if you keep his commandment, it's a confirmation that you know him. Well, we have to know what his command is, right? Who knows? Anybody? Love your neighbor as yourself. We're going to start there. Not the one, not, that's not where we're going to finish at, but. Right. So, let's go to Matthew 22. We'll look at 36 through 40. That's right there on your page. And we have. A religious leader, he's trying to, to trip Jesus up, get him to say something that kind of tangles him up here. And so this this leader asks him right here, he said, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? And Jesus replied, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Typically, you know, exactly what Roy said. When you ask people, what's the commandment of Jesus? This is usually where we go. Love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. They usually say love your neighbor as yourself. They forget the third part. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hi, welcome. Yeah. You know, when we read, when we read that section there in Matthew, there's three parties listed. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love yourself. Supposed to love God with a, with a complete love, heart, soul, and mind. But what I love here, and I and I, I printed this out of the New Living Translation because I love the way it puts it. The second and equally as important. Second and equally as important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love in action. know, we talk about three parties there, and Jared said it, and a lot of us skip at least one of those parties. To love your neighbor as yourself. So many people, they want to love God, they want to love their neighbor, and a lot of people skip loving themselves. And the truth is, you can't give what you don't have. I know Josh, the last time we were here, he informed us all that he'd come into some money, right? That was a joke. Well, it was a good joke. Anyways. 
But like, but in all seriousness, right? If I wanted to bless Josh and write him a check for a million dollars and change his life, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? Yes, please. Thank you. But when he gets to the bank, they're going to say, "I'm sorry, sir, but um, did my funds cover that?" Insufficient, insufficient funds, right? That's what would happen. They're not going to cash that check. You can't go to God with an empty, with an empty love account. All right, that's that's one way to put it. You can't go to your neighbor with an empty love account. You can't give away what you don't have. And the only way you get is by receiving. A lot of people, you know, we talk about, hum, you know, humility, being humble. And there's so many people that, that, and we get humility all wrong. People say, you know, you try to, to give them something, and no, it's okay. No, no, I can't. I can't accept. And they think that by not accepting, they're being humble. Because they're being lowly or staying lowly. They think that the rejection of what you're giving is, is humility, but it's actually false humility. The definition of humility is actually being able to receive. Actually, pride is refusing to receive. It's okay to welcome it. It takes a vulnerability. It takes an intimacy to receive it. Love your neighbor as yourself equally as important. You guys all tracking with me here? You good? So, like I said, that was where Roy went, where most people go. That section of scripture right there. But here's where what I'm going to say. What law? What command is Jesus reading from? Right, we're in the law of Moses, right? This is this is Ten Commandments stuff right here. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law to build upon and reinstitute a new law. We turn to John 15. It's listed there for you, John 15, verse 12. Probably not going to have time to get into John 15 tonight. But John 15, 12, what he says here is, this is my commandment, this is Jesus speaking, right before he goes to the Father, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. That's the commandment we're being asked to keep in 1 John. To love is Jesus' love. The truth is, that the greatest command out of Matthew that we just read, if you lived a semi-charmed life, okay? If you lived a life where money's not a problem, you've got really good neighbors, no adversity ever really touches you. I mean, let's face it, there are people that live their lives in a pretty good place. It's easy to love God when you're not facing any kind of adversity. It's easy to love your neighbors if you don't you know, really interact with people that rub you the wrong way. It's easy to love yourself if there's never been any resistance against you, right? 
Well, the truth is that in the natural, even in the flesh, under the right circumstances, you could keep the great command. But to keep Jesus' command requires supernatural. It requires the Holy Spirit to be able to do what Jesus called us to do. To love as He loved. What did Jesus love look like? We're kind of, we, we've been brushing all around it. On your paper there, we're good. You guys good? Good. Alright. On your paper there, we got Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8. This is the kind of love that Jesus had for us. It said, Let this mind be in you, which also in Christ Jesus. Who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He lowered himself. He served his creation. Really think about this. I mean, when you think about creator of the universe, lowering himself. He didn't just show up as a full-grown man, but he put himself inside the uterus of a young Jewish girl. He grew. He was birthed. Think about it. I mean, I'm talking about lowering ourselves. Birthed. Not into a palace, but into a stable. Imagine the humility to do that. Not just that, but think about the one who spoke everything into existence, learning to speak from his creation. He learned to talk. To, To stumble and fall and learn to walk, even though his purpose was to come to earth and show us how to walk it out. Can you imagine to be a carpenter's son, to grow up and do manual labor for 33 years to just be among the people? And you think about it, even after he kicks off his ministry, you know, I know some, some of us in here that's what our heart is to be in ministry. Can you imagine the thick skin it took as he went? Even among his own family, they couldn't believe that anything good was coming out of Jesus. They, they didn't have faith for what he was doing. Even in his hometown, he could do nothing. Over and over and over again, he would have to repeat himself and teach it over and over and over again to the very ones 
we've actually got it to some degree. You look at what happened in that time leading right up to his death. The brutality that he endured through dealing with the pie. The fact that he shed his blood for us individually. So it could be what we talked about last week, personally applied in our hearts. Have his beard fucked out. To have his his flesh ripped open. To have those thorns crushed into his skull. To have been denied. Everybody else might deny you Jesus, but I won't. I'll be right there. Right? I don't even know that man. Right? If anybody ever had the reason, you know what? I can't even do this anymore. Jesus had every he had every reason in the world that these people don't even get it why am I doing this I've come down here I've taught them I've walked in the dirt with them I've been in the you know in the red light district with them I've dined with the worst of the worst I've healed them of their sickness I've come up here I'm on this cross and they don't even get it And yet he stood in and loved. And what's the scripture say for the joy that was set before him? You and I. Hmm. That was Jesus. That's what we're called. That's how we're called to love. The love is he loved. And it's a tall word. We get our buttons pushed a little bit, you know, whatever. Write somebody off. Can you imagine if Jesus wrote anybody off? Hmm. All right, let's. Uh, we're gonna go back to First John two. We're gonna skip a couple of verses. We're gonna keep on with this the love that Jesus shared. I want to go to verse. 15. Here's the commander. He said, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And there's three phrases that jump out at me in that scripture. Of course, we were talking about loving the Father, loving the world. The three things that jump out at me about loving the world are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He's talking about where the difference is. He says, when he says the lust of the flesh, what's he talking about? Anybody? Sin? Right. Lust of the eyes. 
Anybody? Alright. Lust of the flesh. What feels good to you? To me or to anybody. Lust of the flesh. What feels good? Lust of the eyes. What looks good to me? To you? To anyone? See, as soon as we start talking about lust over love, as soon as we say lust, it has everything to do with us and nothing to do with you. If I can just be real with you, I think that all too often people say I love you and what they really mean is I lust you. You know what this game tonight? Even in marriages. The self. Exactly. It's what I get out of it. Love's everything to do with what I give to it. Lust is everything to do with what I get out of it. What feels good, what looks good. It can be possessions. It can be in our appearances. Or it can be in relations. But the truth is that we can very much say, I love you, and mean I lust you. People get married all the time for for security because they're going to look like the perfect couple, you know, because it's a physical attraction. And he says, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. What feels good to me, what looks good to me, what validates me. That's what we're talking about here is validation. If I only married my wife because of what she's bringing rather than for what I can pour into her, right, it's lust and not love. There's even Christians. People that sit in the pews for 20, 30, 40 years. I'll be real honest. A lot of them don't really love Jesus. They lust Jesus. They're not there for relationship. They're there for what they can get out of it. If you're only going to church to get a one-way ticket to heaven or a get-out-of-hell-free card, can you really say that you love Jesus or do you lust him because of what he's going to do for you rather than what you can do for him? Sorry, I'm not sorry. Second Corinthians 5.16 said there, we regard no one as flesh. I, I used that, that verse the other Friday night, we regard no one as flesh. We look at them for their created value and their intended value. When you value every person the same, because they're all worth the same to him, no longer has the lust, no longer has the ability to play into it. That's still good? Yeah. Alright. The last one he says there, the pride of life. And I remember But I remember, like, 
I first really, you know, I was like making changes, things were happening, and I was radically saved. But like all through our marriage up to that point, we'd been married a long time, right? Every argument came down to who got the last word, who got the one up, who got the win, right? I remember when I got really saved, man, I started realizing that it was my pride and the need of validation because of what I hadn't had before that made me always have to be right. See, if our need for our right, for our righteousness supersedes our call to love, you guys tracking with me all right here? Because it's got to be about his right, not my right. That stuff's got to break off of us. And I remember, you know, I would find myself, we would find ourselves in arguments. I mean, we get along like perfect. I don't know happens anymore. No, no. <laughs> but I remember, you know, in those times of disagreement, I'd find myself like, to get the last word, and then I remember that revelation that it was my pride that had me going after that. And I, when it hit me, I started going into a time of fasting. And I'm not saying it's perfect, but as you learn that stuff about yourself, as Holy Spirit revealing that stuff to you, man, it's amazing what God works in you in the snap of a finger. Not that anybody ends up being perfect, but Boy, you can go from night to day pretty quick. Pride of life. Matthew 7. Lord, Lord, have we not. Right? Pride of life. You're so in love with what you can do for Him rather than with Him. If it becomes about your name instead of His name, it's pride of life. What he's talking about. We can live in pride of life and never get to know him at all. The scripture said, you know, Jesus said, if no one would preach the gospel with the stones would cry out, he's not real concerned. But his purpose is going to get accomplished either way. It's up to us whether we're going to really be Jesus on the earth and really be the image of him and know him or whether he's just going to use us to further the kingdom for a season and then say depart from me and never leave it. you know it's we just kind of touch on it but You know, you get, you get to talking to, you know, boy, that person really pushed my buttons, right? Sometimes we end up in those points of trying to get the one up on somebody in, in disagreements or whatever. And then we're saying, you know, pushed my buttons. And we just talked about it. We don't even have a right to the buttons anymore. That's what Jesus bought. He bought our buttons. We got we had to allow Jesus to have... If Jesus had had his buttons pushed, we'd still be in a world of hurt. You know what I mean? All right.
Let's flip over. Guys, you guys good for a little bit more? Alright. We're gonna go to first John four. We couldn't talk about love without getting to first John four. And we're gonna we're gonna start in verse seven. He said, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There we are, that word again. No. Everyone who loves is born of God. This is sonship right here. That's how you know that you're in the ground. Because you've received his nature. Everyone who loves is born of God. And knows God. You can't love without knowing God. Why? Verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. It doesn't say God has love. It doesn't say God refines love. It doesn't say God produces love. It says God is love. You can't know Him without knowing love. You know, if we go back to the garden, we go back to Eden, look there. The man was made in the image and likeness of God. The man was created to be loved. So often, you know, we talk about, we, we touch on relationships a little bit with marriage. But you know, like, sometimes we get this all wrong with what happened in Eden. Because when God creates Adam, right? He said, it's very good. The creation of Adam was very good. And yet, we come to the creation of Eve, and people say, well, Adam needed Eve to complete him. Everybody heard that before? Right? Need a wife to complete you. Well, now, if we say that, we have to think about what we're really saying. That would actually mean that Adam wasn't very good, but Adam was actually in deficit when he was created and that he needed Eve to be a completion of what God had done. Don't track him. If Adam was created at a deficit, then what God created wasn't perfect, but it needed something added to it. And yet what we have is, if we go to 2.18, Genesis 2.18, and there, and the word God said, it's not good that man should be alone, I will make him a helper in inheritance. Now, wait a second. I just said that he didn't complete him and that Adam was very good. But now here we're reading the Lord God said it's not good that man should be alone. But we have to remember Adam was created in the likeness and image of God as love. 
Adam didn't need Eve because he was a deficit. Adam needed Eve because he was an overflow. Adam was love and he had nothing to pour love out on. This is where the fall of man makes everything so confusing. We just talked about it, right? The lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh. And the curse and the fallen flesh makes us look at everything for what we can get out of it. Because selfishness is how we're born. And yet what we get restored to is actually a place where we look at what we can give to others. God is love. Everyone who loves is a son of God and knows God. Hmm. All right, let's go. We're going to go through a couple more here. Said. Verse 9, we're back in first John 4. In this, the love of God is manifested toward us, that God had sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. We're in covenant talk again here. This is all family, this is all relational, that we might live through Him. Over and over again, we're going to see us in Him, Him in us. It's all relational. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us first. We can't move to loving God until we have allowed God to love us first. We're right back where we started a little bit ago. You can't give what you don't have. Until we receive the love of God, we can't give it back even to God. It's not that He loved us, or it's not that we loved Him first, but that He loved us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love in action, right? Now we're being moved into the command of Jesus. Love as I have loved. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. Right back. We're covenant talk here. By this we know that we abide in Him. Confirmation again. We know that we know. We know that we abide in Him. And He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son, a Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him, and He in God. It's not about how we feel. It's about the truth of what it is. How many of us go through a season and we feel like God is far away from us? We feel like we're alienated from God. We feel like He's a million miles away. We're not hearing from Him. And we're, you know, we're lost. But right here it is. If you confess Him, He abides in you and you in Him. He's never far away. Even in those times, he's never far away. We're family. We talked about it last week, that we go boldly before the throne, the way it's been opened, that we go right into him. 
16, and we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. There's no doubt in us. Boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so we are in the world. As he is. Not even as he was. As he is right now, so we are in the world. With a manifestation of him right now. We are love in action. As we walk, right? As he is. Who? What is he? He's love. As he is, so we are. That's the reality of it. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. When we think about fear, fear comes from uncertainty. If there's an uncertainty over what we've been called to, there's an uncertainty in our standing, there's an uncertainty in our knowing. Right? But what was the promise that we know that we know? If we know that we know, we've received love and that cast out fear of uncertainty. He didn't give us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, sound love. There's a soundness in our mind because we know that we know. Doesn't say fear won't present itself. How many of us walk in the presence of fear? But it's not the spirit that steers us. Love has to be what steers us. 